You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Today is a, is a special day because we are finishing up with the book of Luke. This is the last time... Well, hopefully you'll, you'll read it more on your own. But this is the last time as a church for right now that we get to, to be in the book of Luke together. So do you guys, who, who remembers when we started? <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad you do. Yeah. But it was a while back. It was about a year and a half ago. And so... I, I raised my hand, but I had to look it up. So okay. It's yeah. don't have the exact date, right? <laughs> But anyways, what we're going to do today is, is we're going to kind of have a little bit of a dialogue about some of the things that we have picked up from the book of Luke and, and give us some parting challenges as, as we end. So let's just start it off with the last few verses that we find in the, in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. And it says there, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet and While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Thank you, Brad. And thank you, Lord, uh, for your word this morning. As I said, I, I did look it up because I needed to know. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, we began Luke for Advent in 2020. Uh, so it's been 18 months, give or take, about a year and a half, um, quite a while in one book. Obviously, in the summer times, we sometimes do other books, but uh, it's been quite a while. Has it felt like a long time, maybe too long? Um, it's okay if it does. It's okay if it does. At my old church, we did Luke in a month. In a month? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's good, too. Um, that's good, too. But it has, you know, we did spend some time. And um, it almost, for me, sometimes felt like not enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, as, you know, each word of Jesus, we, we can hang on and, and just meditate oh. on and, and learn from. And, 
and there's so much to be said, but uh, we tried to um, cover as much as we could within a reasonable amount of time, and so it's been really good. It's It's felt long, but also almost too short. Exactly. And and so this this last week, as Blair and I have uh, spent some time just reflecting on on the things that God has has brought us through in the last year and a half. Obviously, just as a, as a society, as a culture, we have gone through a lot, and yes. that's an understatement. But I was thinking about that and how we've been blessed to be in Luke during oh, this time. Is that not God's providence for us? I think it is. Exactly. Just that He brought us here for the time, such a time as this. As yes, it says. that's right. And so. I don't know if you mentioned, if you noticed in your email inboxes, there was uh, an email sent out just asking you, as a congregation, as our family, of what kind of things stood out to you uh, from the book of the Luke in the last uh, year and a half, and it was really interesting and really rewarding for us uh, to to hear hear back from a few of you, and uh, I think it was really neat. Just uh, some of the people in particular said, "Oh, you know, I'm looking back through my notes," and. For, for that, that just brings me great joy because knowing that there, there's people out there that have, you know, have kind of been building their own commentary on the book of Luke. And so I, I really hope and, and pray that those are, that will be a continuing, you know, blessing to you as you continue to go through it. Yeah. And so part of reaching out to you as well as our own reflection is to, to compile what we were going to share this morning as kind of a summary. Okay. So mm-hmm. um, we're not going to go into a bunch of detailed points. Um, we're not even going to be reading the passages that we're talking about. We've already read them. Yeah. Um, might have been a long time ago, right? But uh, yeah, we're just going to do sort of a flyover mm-hmm. of some of the key themes that the Lord has taught us in Luke. And again, this is not exhaustive. This is rather specific to what uh, we received and what we felt mm-hmm. were God's word to us through Luke. And exactly. so that's part of what we'll do this morning. Yeah, and I, I just our prayer for us this morning as a church is just that our hearts and our, our lives would be moved into a real sense of awe of what God has done. And as we've spent this time together in the book of Luke, uh, that we would just be filled with wonder at recalling all of the things, or some of the things, I should yeah. say, about what is given us, God has given us. And so if you do have your Bibles, um, as, as Blair mentioned, we're not going to be reading specific verses and stuff like that. We're just going to be probably saying, you know, Luke and then the chapter number. You can take it as a challenge, though, see yeah, how fast you can flip. Fast so. flipping. So that's the, that's the challenge. Yeah. So it is good to have your Bible, make some notes, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so we're going to get down to some of the main themes that we have, we've been thinking about. Uh, the first good. one that I was thinking about this week was that Jesus, he really cares for individual people. Uh, the personalized care in some ways that, that he, he shows to everybody that he comes into contact with on when he was on earth. And, and the first one that, that came into mind was, uh, was when he, he called Levi the tax collector, or Matthew the tax collector. It's in chapter 5 of Luke. It tells a story, and, and it, it always makes me think, you know, rabbis sometimes sought out disciples. Uh, they sought out people they thought had potential to be, you know, good disciples. And I don't think Levi, the tax collector, probably thought that that was his, his future goal. You know, he probably thought that that ship had sailed in his life. And so he had, you know, maybe taken up tax collecting for whatever reason. But God, Jesus, sees potential in him. I think there is more money in tax collecting, probably. I think so. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> career move. Yeah, 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 downward career move, really, to, to, but, but upward so, as yes. well. Lucky for him. Yes. Jesus. Right. Uh, he had a, a good hope in the future. There. Yeah. Uh, 
another story that comes to mind was when in chapter 8 of Luke, when, when Jesus is, is stopped by Jairus, and Jairus pleads with him, come heal my daughter, my only daughter, she's dying. And Jesus agrees. And as they're heading that way, as they're walking, um, it says the crowds were stifling him. There's just hordes of people around him. And so she, he was trying to get through, and his disciples, and probably Jairus, were like, oh, we've got to get going, my daughter's yeah. dying. But unbeknownst to Jesus and the crowd, there was a lady that had been debilitated by bleeding for 18 years. And so she comes up and just with the, with the faith, the simple faith comes up and just touches his robe, knowing that she can be healed. And, and she was. But at that moment, Jesus stopped and kind of like looked around and, who touched me? And his disciples are like, seriously? Come on. Like, there's, there's hundreds of people touching you. And he's like, no, no, no. Someone touched me. I felt power go out. And it's just, what an amazing example. Jesus stopped and the lady comes forward and is just, is, is overwhelmed. You know, she's probably kind of frightened, but at the same time, Jesus reassures her and says, daughter, you were healed and calls her daughter. It was that personalized blessing from Jesus. You know, we come, and as well, we come to Zacchaeus, one of the, those famous Bible characters that we, we all know about in chapter 19. And again, we find Jesus interacting with someone that probably the crowds and the leaders didn't think that he should be interacting with. He stops underneath a tree and he sees this little guy up there and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And he interacts with him and he calls him. And, and we know the story, right? G, uh, Zacchaeus responds in complete heart change and life change, responds with this amazing change of, of everything that he has. And, you know, you consider that the scribes and Pharisees probably wouldn't have even made eye contact with Zacchaeus. But yet, Jesus decided, yes, this is what I need to do. And at that point in time, you know, he, he comes out and says in Luke 19.10, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Wow. And so, you know, you're kind of going back to, to, the, to chapter 14 and 15, where Jesus is both dining with Pharisees, as well as telling, uh, telling parables of things that are lost. You know, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son. And it, it just, those kind of, those statements, and all of this kind of echoes back uh, from what Ezekiel says in chapter 34 of his book about the, the good shepherd that were, was going to be given to Israel to, to bring about the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind into the kingdom. And Jesus exemplifies that. He is that good shepherd. And and Jesus' response was, was, was hospitable to each and every person, and it was very personable. Very personal, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how he shows his love to us as well. Exactly. Uh, individually, so I'm so thankful for that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, another a big one for me and for us, I think, was about the authority of Jesus. Now, uh, the Gospel of Luke, all the Gospels are an, an attempt in their own way to answer the question, who is Jesus, right? That's a very important question. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Luke does that over and over. I, I love that Luke doesn't necessarily always explain who Jesus is, but rather displays it through his stories, right? right. And so um, one of the ways that he displays this and answers the question of who Jesus is is that Jesus is divine. He's, he's not your average man. He's not even your above-average man. Uh, he's, he's the God-man, um, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? And he has that authority. And so the way that he shows that is... Uh, Various, but in chapter uh, eight, uh, we have a series of three really, really cool events that I remember very clearly. So the first one um, is in eight twenty-two to twenty-five. Jesus calms the storm by speaking to it. 
So Jesus' authority in this short but incredible miracle is the authority over the natural realm, over creation. And that's because it's his. Um, and so needless to say, the disciples are amazed and in wonder, and they turn to each other and say, who is this man that even you know, the waves listen to him speak? And then uh, right after that, the answer to that question actually comes from a demon or a demon-possessed man um, in verses 26 to 39. And that's the incredible story, the strange story, the demons going into the pigs and running off of the hill. Um, I remember that one quite well as well. And, uh, and so Jesus had authority over creation. And here we have Jesus' authority over uh, the spiritual world, right? Over demons and all other things as well. Uh, so Jesus has authority over creation, over the spiritual realm. And then thirdly, uh, returning back to what you were just sharing about Jairus, and the woman on the way, uh, Jesus heals them, and Jesus actually raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. It turns True. out that Jesus was too late yeah. when he does get there, and you can imagine the frustration of both Jairus and the disciples who were trying to get Jesus to go faster. Yeah. Um, Jairus' daughter died, uh, but praise God, yeah, Jesus raises her from, from, the, from the dead. So mm -hmm. Jesus has authority over creation, uh, the spiritual realm, but he also has full authority over us and our final enemy, which would be death itself, right? And so this is who Jesus is. This is just three of the many, many places that Luke continues to teach us about Jesus' power and authority. Mm -hmm. And I just really love that one. Exactly. So, and, yeah. it, you know, and he obviously continues to have authority over our hearts and our lives today. Yes. Uh, you know, and we are, if we are observant, we, we find him having authority over the whole world right Amen. now. Another point that, that stood out to me was how he responds to the Pharisees and the scribes and, and the, the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they, they have this idea of religion as, as just a bunch of rules that they need to keep. And, and Jesus did not agree with them. You know? And, and I, I find it so interesting. Uh, there's lots of times in the book of Luke, in particular in chapter 6 and chapter 14, where he heals on the Sabbath. Right? And, and it... I don't know, it, it kind of makes me laugh because it, it seems that sometimes maybe Jesus kind of waits, you know, he see, and, and he waits for the Sabbath, and then he's like, okay, now the Pharisees are here, now I will heal this person. You know, he, he, he so desperately wants to love and save people, but, you know, he, he wants to prove a point to the Pharisees point, as yeah. well. And, and I think that, that's important. I think can, Jesus was continually showing the, the Pharisees and the, and the crowds, obviously, as well, but it was more important to love God and to love people than it was to follow, you know, these man-made rules that the Pharisees had. And I think in those instances, Jesus was, was truly trying to reach out to the Pharisees and say, hey, there's a better way, you know, follow, like follow me and I can, I, can, I can do things. But if you keep on following these rules and being so angry, you know, that, that's not the way to go. Uh, you know, and but Jesus, he still as well accepts the invitation of the Pharisees to go and dine with them. You know, he loved food. Jesus loved, loved to eat food. He loved to, to banquet. He loved to, uh, you know, turn water into wine, we read. All these things. And these people, as he was dining with them, they, you know, he realized these were the leaders, the, the, the leaders of the people of Israel. They should, they should be, that's the key word, they should be good shepherds of the flock. But they weren't. And so Jesus, it seems he was hard on them. He, you know, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He, he called them out pretty hard, but it's because he wanted them to lead well. 
He had a purpose. He wasn't just being angry. He really wanted them to change their hearts and their lives so that they could be the good shepherds that, that God had called them to be. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking, it, it seemed like the, the idea of Jesus confronting the priests and speaking against them, but also responding, you know, to, to love them, kind of culminated, I found, in, the, in, the, in chapter 18, there's a story of the tax collector and the Pharisee going up to pray in the temple. And in that, you know, we remember that the, the Pharisee uh, was nearly praying to himself, and he was like, oh, thank you, God, that I'm such a good person. And the, Pharisee, or, and the tax collector was just beating his chest and saying, have mercy on me. And, and Jesus was saying, you can't trust in your own righteousness, you know, as the Pharisees were trying to do. And you can't exalt yourself in the deeds that you are doing because it's the heart that matters. It's the heart of the person. And, and the tax collector really grasped onto that fact. And he's like, man, I need mercy. Only God can save me. And so that was, that was really remarkable for me. I love that, that, that little parable that he gives about just the humility that we require to come before him and for the, the heart change that is so evident in that tax collector's heart as well as in our own hearts as we come to Jesus with our sin. Yeah, and that and Jesus shows us God's grace. Oh, all the right? time. The, I think that that was very much missing in the approach of the Pharisees and how mm-hmm. overbearing they were. They had forgotten that God is a gracious God and that that's how he looks upon them and, and humanity in general with yeah, his love. exactly. And so Jesus showed us that. Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, one that is not repeated as much in Luke, only a couple of times, but is incredibly important that I, uh, for me and for the church, I believe in general, is the idea that Jesus, if we follow him, he is going to lead us to sacrificial love, to laying down of our lives. Um, a simple way of putting this, or something that we often call it, is the cost of discipleship. There's a couple points in Luke where Jesus uh, explicitly lays out the fact that being his follower is going to cost you. Mm-hmm. So easy. it's not going to be easy. We gain eternal life yes. by following him. Um, praise God. But during this age, mm-hmm. we will face trouble, as he promises in John 16. Uh, so in Luke 9, 23 to 27, uh, Peter has just confessed, confessed that Jesus is the Christ. Um, and that's a, a glorious thing for Peter to c- confess. But almost in response to that, Jesus lays it out right after. And he says, okay, um, if you care too much about your life, basically, um, if you care too much about your life, then following me is not going to work out. Exactly. Um, so that's in 9. And he's uh, discouraging Actually, twice in 9, also in 57 to 62, he discourages the crowds from following him with the same sentiment. He says, if you care too much about whatever you have to do in this lifetime, if that's more important to you than being my disciple, then don't sign up. It's not very seeker sensitive. No, No. uh, it's not. (laughs) It's not. Um, Again, in chapter 14, 25 to 36, Jesus just speaks to the crowds and, and, and he says, unless you reject life as you know it, that's where he uses that word hate. Um, hate your father, mother, daughter, son, essentially everything by comparison. Mm-hmm. Then you can't follow the way of Jesus. And, and that's because it takes you to the cross, right? Sure. Jesus says, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. That's right. So that's what this is all about. Yeah. Uh, the cost of discipleship. And there's a lot of implications to that, which we won't get into. I'll I'll just leave it at that. But um, that's something I wanted to repeat and for us to remember as we we move ahead too. I think it's amazing to remember as well just that, you know, yes, we're called to give up so much, 
but yet Jesus promises us, you know, the, to, he will be with us in this life and in, in eternal life as well. Oh, yeah. He gives us more. For sure. Yeah, like, we get well, way more in return. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Everything. So. Mm-hmm. Finally, uh, the, the point that uh, another one that stood out to me was uh, that Jesus sent out his disciples and he gave them, you know, that practical experience. Um, and, you know, he, he sends us out as well. We're not called just to sit in church right here, but we're called to be sent out. And uh, in both chapters 9 and 10, he, he sends out first his 12 disciples, and then a chapter later he sends out 72 disciples. He wants to be a, extend the group. And he gives his disciples, and he gives us authority over, over things. He, he gives his disciples authority to heal and to cast out demons and to... And he sends them out to preach the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And, and I guess I always wonder, you know, this is the, the first time that perhaps the disciples have been really away from Jesus for a while. They've been observing him for a little bit. It doesn't really say, you know, the time length. But I often wonder how successful they were in their, in their mission endeavors. And I would like to hear those stories. I know, hey? Yeah. I'm very curious. I think it seems, though, that Jesus... Is, is fully aware that they, they might have some failure because he tells them, if any town rejects you, just simply dust your feet off and move on to the next one. You know, he's, he's like, yes, you, you probably will fail, but just keep going, just keep trusting. And that, that was the whole point of it is in this endeavors is that Jesus wanted his disciples to trust him. He, he told them, don't bring along any extra clothes or extra sandals, don't, you know, don't bring money along, just trust me. You know, whether you succeed or fail, that's not really the point here, but it's whether we are faithful to him, we are trusting in him. You know, and Jesus tells the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so it is up to to the disciples then, and it is up to us now to to go out into the harvest and to, to be sent by God, to trust him for everything, and to be faithful whether we are, you know, successful or we fail. And so, you know, we, we do the work of God by his power and not by yeah. our own power. And that's so important for us to remember. It is. And speaking of doing the work, um, so we've just kind of, again, crashed through some main themes. There's a bunch of other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're just kind of praising God for, for these things and the others that we've learned from Luke. But um, having said all this, I wanted to, I guess, make a suggestion that as we've covered all this ground for 18 months, We've been spending time with Jesus, haven't we? Uh, what, what a blessing, what a gift. Uh, each Sunday, ho- however, you know, whenever and wherever you can attend to, to just be together, to gather before Jesus and spend this time with Jesus, much like the disciples did. Um, but I want to ask, for what purpose have we done this? Why have we spent all this time with Jesus? Is it uh, because it's nice and we enjoy it? Well, you and Greg chose to do it too, so that's we to, true. We had to go along with you. No choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no choice. Um, but you continued to show up, anyways. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, but no, it's not just it's not just because we enjoy it or because it's important to learn or anything like that. That's good, but I want to say that there's a reason for it, just mm-hmm. like it was for the disciples, exactly. um, where it's a time of actually being equipped. Right. Okay. It's not just to receive and to grow. It's to be equipped for a purpose, uh, which is, as you just said, to be uh, sent, out. sent out. Okay? So 
that's uh, a challenge for us this morning to realize that and to take that to heart that we've been called by Jesus, we've been equipped by him, and in fact, we've actually been sent out to spread this good news. So we're wrapping up Luke's gospel today, but um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Luke is actually part one of, of a two-part... Um, some people are laughing. That's not where I'm taking this, but uh, Luke, Luke is a part one of a two-part uh, pair in the Bible. What's the second half? Acts. The book, of Acts. the book of Acts is part two. We are not going into Acts as a church. Um, we actually did. Uh, it was some time ago, probably like eight years or something like that, and we did do Acts. And it was incredible. Um, that's not what's next for us in our sermon series. Yeah. But guess what? Acts is next, right? Acts is next. Not just literally for Luke, writing Luke, and then writing Acts, but also metaphorically for us as a church. It's called Acts because it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the, thing, it's the things that they do. It's the love of God on display for the world. And I believe that that's the word for us this morning, too, that as we've spent all this time with Jesus, that Acts is next, okay? So it's, it's time for us to... Um, and, and, you know, praise God, we already are. But it's a reminder for us to be mobilized in the world, to have our acts of love on display, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit as we do so. And so whatever God has next for us, um, I do know the next sermon series, but I'm not going to tell you. Um, but this isn't about that. I'm, I'm talking about whatever is next for us as a church more generally at the gate and in Lethbridge. We have to expect the power of God as he goes before us, as he's been preparing us and equipping us for what is next, acts as next. Exactly. I think it's just awesome that, you know, as we get going, um, as we're kind of ramping up our efforts for, for the outreach team and for, for evangelism, totally. yeah. you know, that, that is the, our book of Acts. You know? And so I'm, I'm just so excited about, about seeing God's power at work, at display through us as we continue to be equipped and continue to to go out. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so I want to end our our dialogue here, our, our conversation, Blair, uh, just with a, a bit of a response to the last, I guess, the last three verses of the book of Luke. And so from uh, 20, Luke 24, 50 to 53, it, it says, let me just remind you once again, and it says, and Jesus led them out, as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. And so we, we catch up to the disciples here, at the, the, last, the last moment of Jesus being on earth. And we, we hear them, we, hear, we watch Jesus get, us, you know, somehow ascending into heaven, and we hear their, their momentous reaction to this event. And, uh, you know, the disciples, because their minds had been opened by Jesus himself, according to the scriptures, uh, that they, they fully knew and understood that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Christ. And so the suffering servant, he was the servant who had suffered. He'd gone through that. He was the redeemer of Israel. He was the Christ. He was the chosen one of God. All these wonderful titles that we give him. And so worship for the disciples at that time was a very appropriate response. All right, they got it. They got it finally. And and I, I guess I don't know. I always wonder what what it was like to see Jesus get get carried up into heaven. You know? Well, there's paintings of it. 
I guess so. Oh, I should have. Lots. Lot, there is lots of paintings, and it just, you know, Jesus riding a cloud. I don't know, maybe, you know, God the Father threw down a rope ladder. I don't know, maybe. he climbed up. I don't know, or Elijah, he, was, he got carried up into heaven in a chariot. Maybe that was it, or I, you know, I just, I, I, I'm a visual person. I like to, to figure these things out, but alas, that was not answered in Scripture. So we'll have to wait till we figure that one out. But the key thing is they, they saw this and they worshipped God. They worshipped Jesus for who he was. And then it says they went back to Jerusalem. They walked back to Jerusalem with great joy. And they, and they were continually blessing God in the temple. And this was part of the specific instructions from Jesus that they had. If you read in the, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, they were instructed to wait until they were clothed with power on high. And he says that in the end of Luke 24 as well. Until the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so they had a, had a time, they were instructed by Jesus simply to wait. And it turns out that that period of waiting was, was probably about 10 days. All right, It tells us that Jesus spent 40 days from when he was resurrected until he was ascended into heaven. It says that in the book of Acts. And it tells us that Pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection. And so there's that period of 10 days after Jesus was, was raised into heaven until the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I guess the question for me and for all of us is how did they wait? You know, that, that 10 days, that's you know, a, a, a decent amount of time for them to, to do something with. And it says, I think, in the verses we just read, they waited with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God and blessing God. And, and I can imagine that during those 10 days, they, they ate together, they, had, they you know, celebrated you know, Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what he told them to do every time they ate bread and drank wine. Uh, they probably had amazing discussions, and they probably were remembering what Jesus was saying when he was still on earth. And I don't know, it's interesting, you know, you look back at Luke chapter 12, we find the, the parable when Jesus told his disciples to stay dressed for action, to keep a lamp burning, and be ready for the master's return. So be ready for whatever happens next. And so I really believe that that's how the disciples were waiting. They were waiting expectantly. They were waiting with a clear focus and with sober minds. They didn't want to be unprepared for what was going to be coming next. And so the day of Pentecost came. And as we know in Acts chapter 2, they received the Holy Spirit. And what an amazing event that was. And I believe that as we look at these verses in, of, of waiting, found at the end of the book of Luke, we can, we can draw out a comparison for us as disciples with the disciples in the Bible, and we can pull out an important reminder. And so we are disciples who are waiting. We are in a time of waiting, not for the Holy Spirit, but for something else. All right? We've received the Holy Spirit. At the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we received that Holy Spirit. And so praise God, we don't have to wait for that anymore, but we are still waiting. And we are truly living and waiting in expectation and in anticipation for when Jesus Christ will return. You know, as, as Pastor Greg outlined at the beginning of, of this calendar year in January, that was the, the theme of our church, is waiting in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. And so the question for us, as it was for the disciples, is, is again, how do we wait? How do we wait for the second coming of Jesus? And again, 
going back to Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives clear instructions for his servants to be ready, to be dressed and waiting with the lamp turned on. And Jesus also says in Luke 19, uh, verses 13, to the servants of the nobleman who was going away, the nobleman said to his servants, engage in business until I come again. And so as, and as Peter, one of the disciples who was there for that, he also reminds us in, in one of his letters to his followers in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, where it says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And so just as these disciples were waiting, and as Peter reminded his followers, the end of all things is at hand, well, we're still waiting, and we're still in that moment of knowing that the end of all things is at hand, and so we wait. But this, it, we, it just paints a very clear picture. When we put all these things together, we are supposed to be actively waiting. Not just, you know, bored as we're waiting for something, but we're actively waiting for Jesus' return by keeping our minds clear from distractions, and we're focused on the task at hand, and we're going about Jesus' business. And as it said in, in Luke 19.10, Jesus' business was to seek and to save the lost. And so that's how we should be anticipating Christ's return, by seeking out, by saving the lost. And we already have the Holy Spirit. And that's the one difference between the end of the book of Luke and us. Is we have that Holy Spirit. We've been filled with the full power of God's presence and His power. And Jesus has sent us His Helper, as it says in the book of John, the Spirit of Truth, to guide us into, re into remembrance of all that Jesus taught us. And so we wait, but we're not bored. <laughs> I hope we're not bored. We're not supposed to be bored. We, we actively bored? wait. <laughs> we actively wait with the empowering of the Holy Spirit upon us, and we're going about our Master's business of seeking out and saving the lost. Yeah, and, and even just as the disciples were waiting between Luke and Acts, it's with that joy mm. and that worship in the temple, mm -hmm. um, we're, we're called to that as well. And that's something that we can have as Christians while we wait too, not to be waiting right. in a spirit of, of, of despair and, and, and lack, but of joy mm. and celebration at what exactly. God has done and certainly what he's going to do as exactly. well. Thank you for that, Brad, and thank you for bringing us back to, as you said, where Pastor Greg spoke at the beginning of 2022 for us as a church, just that reminder of the imminence and, and the, the mindset of the return of Jesus, of waiting for that and anticipating that whenever it may be. Um, for me, ever since the beginning of this year, as we have dwelt on that um, idea, the... Um, experience of communion has taken on just a slightly different uh, meaning for me. I think a bit of a truer meaning. Um, this is because I'm always grateful to take communion and receive it. I feel blessed uh, every time of the reminder of Jesus' death on the cross and the way that he loved us. But the result of this practice is explained in 1 Corinthians 11, which we read almost every time we take communion. And it is this, that as we eat and drink, we proclaim Jesus' death until he comes again, right? And, and so that rings even truer to me as we wait uh, and expect that return in, in power of Jesus and we take communion. Um, and so today, with the reminder of 
Jesus leaving earth, uh, sending his spirit to accompany us believers until that day arrives, we take communion with that anticipation of his return in power. To believe in Jesus' promise to save us. And with an, an imminence that as we proclaim his death by eating and drinking, that we pray and say, uh, yes, even so, uh, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we give you glory this morning. God, we've been blessed to spend this time focused on who Jesus is as a church throughout the book of Luke. May we never lose sight of that in our uh, Sunday mornings and our daily lives, just who Jesus is, what he's done. I thank you, Lord, that all of scripture is completed in Jesus. As we've reflected on these things this morning, Lord, it feels like only a drop of what can be offered in praise uh, to your name, God. So I ask that our knowledge of you would translate into relationship with you. Lord, may we be transformed as we follow Jesus with our lives. I pray that our church would witness to the world that Jesus is the one true and glorious Son of God. Lord, let us be ready to tell this news and, and invite others to know you because we know you and we love you so much and we want everyone else to as well. I thank you again, God, just for this church and that you've blessed us immensely and that you are leading us towards a new season where you've gone before us and so we want to keep following you. Thank you, God, for your love and for your grace. We want to love you more. We want to love our neighbors more. So Lord, just fill us with your spirit to do these things, to know you and to follow you. In Jesus' mighty name.